Welcome to another episode of the Purple and Bold Podcast from the Daily News Record. I'm Shane Metlin, uh, your JMU beat writer at the DNR, here to talk everything JMU sports. This week in particular, we're going to get into uh, the Dukes heading to Logan, Utah, take on Utah State, uh, the Aggies, and JMU uh, to Similar schools, similar athletic programs. We'll get into that. We'll get into JMU trying to remain four and or improve to four and zero, remain unbeaten on this season. And later on, we'll talk a lot about Jeff Bourne, JMU's athletic director for the past quarter of a century, announcing his retirement at the end of the school year uh, in spring of two thousand twenty-four. Um, We'll talk about you know what that means for JMU, talk about the job. I have an interview with Matt Brown from Extra Points, a uh, newsletter that really dives into the industry of college sports. Re- really good interview with some uh, insights into you know just what that job is like on the open market as JMU looks for its next athletic director. That interview with Matt's coming up, but um, first we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the game on Saturday, JMU traveling basically across the entire country, uh, not quite to the West Coast, but to the Western side of the United States to play Utah State. Uh, the Aggies are one and two. Um, they have losses to Air Force and Iowa. Um, good Iowa team. That game was, you know, a, a defensive battle like you might expect. Air Force jumped on them early uh, took advantage of some turnovers quarterback change um, led to the offense looking better for Utah State Um, so it'll be interesting to see how things turn out for JMU getting out there um, going against and similar to uh, the UVA situation where a freshman quarterback gets his first start um going to be a similar situation in Logan for the Aggies who are always a good solid program not just in football across the board athletically I find it interesting to have this kind of you know intersectional matchup I really kind of like it um you know other than the fact that these schools are just so far away, um, it is a nice non-conference matchup. It's a Sunbelt Mountain West, two conferences that are kind of peers in the group of five, um, two schools with similar profiles. When you, you look at um, what they are within the college sports landscape and within their states, um, Utah State's one that's a little bit um, outside of the the main population center in its state it's not one of the power five programs in its state it's not the utes it's not byu uh a little bit of a chip on the shoulder there as far as you know that goes um in terms of where they stand in the state but has been very 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 competitive with those other big in-state programs and if that sounds like i'm talking about jmu it's because there's so many similarities uh, um between where they stand 
um, scenic location, but a little bit more rural than, you know, some of the, the power five schools in their state. Um, but like JMU has stacked up well against those bigger schools um, and have done well across the board athletically. When you talk about uh, football, basketball, you know, Utah state's got a mountain West football title just as recently as 2021. Uh, it's a good program. It should be a challenge for JMU to go out there, play well and win. But I think the Dukes do have a pretty decent chance of getting out there and coming back 4-0, which if you told almost anybody that they'd start out 4-0 with a three-game road trip, a Power 5 opponent in Virginia, the defending Sunbelt champs in Troy, and then, like I said, always a good, solid Utah State program. If you said they might um, start 4-0, anybody would have taken that if you were a JMU fan. You'd be very happy with that. For the Aggies, it'll be very interesting to see. They've played three quarterbacks this year, um, various amounts. Cooper Legas was really the starter to start the season, but he's the guy who threw three interceptions against Air Force and really dug a hole that they couldn't get out of. They went with the freshman McKay Hillstead later in that game, who threw for three touchdowns, threw for a bunch of yards, looked pretty solid kind of a situation where you don't know quite what to expect you know obviously air force is going to get more conservative and take fewer risks and everything as they build you know a three score lead before that game's barely even started but um he looked good and jmu has had its issues uh with giving up passing yards so far this year um utah state's also been able to run the ball relatively effectively um particularly compared to jmu's previous opponents where the Dukes are giving up less than 70 yards a game on the ground. And they've, you know, essentially shut down, um, allowed no yardage more or less in the running game the last two weeks against, you know, what looking, if you looked in the preseason and said that, you know, maybe Troy and maybe Virginia were the two best teams on their schedule, you can make that argument. Now, I don't know that UVA holds up to that right now but going into the summer or last spring when we were starting to see the schedule you might have made that argument and to completely shut down the running games against two teams of that caliber really says a lot about where JMU's front seven is um the defensive line has been outstanding uh linebackers even with Torres Jones and um uh, Jalen Walker both out last week. The linebackers continue to play extremely well. And I think the secondary is improving. I've written today about you know, uh, D'Angelo Pons, a true freshman who got a lot more playing time at corner um, this past week. And he just you know certainly earned it. He certainly earned his place on this field. He's a smart kid, uh, though you know still a teenager getting thrown out there against you know, some grown men in some cases. Uh, smart kid, very athletic, very fast, loves to hit as a cornerback. He loves that challenge of, you know, being on an island and potentially being a shutdown guy for this um, defense. Chauncey Logan's played pretty well. Devin Coles has stepped up. The cornerbacks in general, I think, have been, like, fairly solid. They're in positions where there's going to be some big plays made against them because 
you know, teams are going to challenge guys knowing that they're in one-on-one coverage. I feel like a secondary, if they can kind of clear up the missed assignments by safeties that have happened, you know, a veteran group of safeties too, are the ones kind of missing assignments and just not being where they're supposed to be on certain plays. I think if they can clean that up, um, the defense suddenly could look really, really solid. And they're going to need to against Utah State this week. Um, like I said, the Aggies are always always competitive in the Mountain West. And Blake Anderson, uh, who won two Sunbelt titles at Arkansas State um, and now one title so far in the Mountain West at Utah State, is a really good coach. And he's going to have that team ready to play, ready to – uh, try to even up their record. It's been, you know, somewhat disappointing start, but against a fairly tough schedule to begin with for Utah State. For JMU, um, you know, continue to have gotten solid play at quarterback from Jordan McLeod, who hasn't thrown an interception yet this year. Um, had to be one of the, you know, more significant concerns going into the season if he would keep his turnovers down as well as, you know, both Todd Santeo and Cole Johnson had the previous two seasons. Um, those guys were <clears throat> throw interceptions were increasingly rare for both of them last couple seasons. They did a really good job. McLeod, it must just be something that's very intensely drilled into the quarterbacks in this system in practice when they work with, you know, both Signetti and quarterback coach uh, Tito Sinceri. Offense coordinator Mike Shanahan, the, the idea that you're not giving the ball up for turnovers, risky passes, uh, bad mistakes in that regard must be something that's uh, incredibly emphasized by the staff. Um, and it shows with the results so far from, you know, maybe it's basically you go back to uh, Ben DiNucci even second year at, or, you know, his first year with the staff and with Signetti. You, you're talking about so far, if McLeod keeps it up, four quarterbacks in a row have really, really taken that to heart. Um, running games, we talked to Kalon Black a little bit earlier this week um, in the media sessions. Um, Jamie, I think, feeling pretty good about where their running game is right now. Um, you know, offensively, they didn't put up a ton of yards or a ton of points at all um, against, against Troy. Uh, but it seems like, you know, once you get into the, like, Further removed from that game, you get more and more hints that the idea was to keep it relatively conservative, relatively um, under wraps, not make any game-changing mistakes. Uh, you know, even you know, Kurt Signetti said I, I asked him a little bit about you know the red zone opportunities where they you know scored each time but got field goals three times and only one touchdown, um, and he he basically said you know knowing. Troy, knowing what kind of defense he had, knowing how the kind of defense Troy had, that he felt field goals were going to be very meaningful in the game. Um, you know, I think I think his exact words were field goals were going to count, and and it ended up being that. You know, the 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 four field goals adds up to the or the the three field goals adds up to the um, winning score, like a winning touchdown, essentially. Um, and that may have been more of a Troy specific type of plan, uh, just from what I'm hearing from, you know, the Dukes this week. Wouldn't be surprised if things are a little bit more opened up. We see a little bit more like a like a UVA type of 
offensive performance where JMU did put up 36 points. And, you know, they've been outscoring opponents for the most part, you know, throughout the past couple seasons. I think we'll see more of that when when they arrive in Logan, Utah for a Saturday night, a little bit late on the East Coast here, 8 o'clock start. Um, so, you know, get your nap in Saturday afternoon so you're ready to stay up late with us uh, <clears throat> as we watch the Dukes on Saturday. The football team's success continues to be a big, big story around Harrisonburg, around JMU. But perhaps probably on a grander scale, an even bigger story is the architect of the athletic department, the guy who helped kind of build the football program and all of JMU sports really into the successful program that it is. Jeff Bourne, after 25 years as JMU's athletic director, announced he's going to retire this coming spring, 2024. This will be the last academic year with him at the helm. Obviously, his success, you can you can run through the entire list. We could spend basically an entire episode probably talking about you know what he's done at JMU whether it's you know building the facilities the um you know original kind of remodel expansion of Bridgeport Stadium a brand new basketball arena at Atlantic Union Bank Center the renovated convocation center which is now a world class volleyball type of arena with other facilities for track and offices and whatnot for other sports um improvements at Veterans Memorial Park for softball, baseball likely coming at some point. Uh, facilities across the board have been outstanding. This teams are one. He's hired successful coaches. Fundraising has started to increase with the FBS move and the, what we just said, the FBS move itself, the move from the CAA to the Sunbelt Conference. Uh, Jeff Bourne's legacy as the athletic director at James Madison is um, – secured it's set in stone the man will go down as you know one of the names that's mentioned when you talk about how jmu went from a small school and small athletic department to a sprawling large state university with a very successful division one athletic department fbs football championships across national and conference championships across multiple sports um you know Jeff Bourne's name will be mentioned there along with, you know, the Ron Carriers and the, the you know, Dean Ehlers, the, um, <clears throat> you know, lots of people, you know, Lefty Drizel and uh, Campanile, like lots of people who helped kind of build and put JMU on the map. Uh, Mickey Matthews, Jeff Bourne's name is going to be as high as any of those on the lists of people who really helped build JMU to, to what it is today, but it, it does create the interesting question of what happens next for JMU as they look for a new athletic director. It's really time of massive change across uh, college sports, um, you know, without having, you know, sat down to talk to Jeff about, you know, his reasonings and his timing for, um, retiring now other than the fact that, you know your retirement age and you have grandchildren and everything else that you know drives people to to make that decision um you, you also have to wonder how much the 
changing landscape of college sports uh, impacts the timing? Like how much does a guy like that really want to um, be the guy who leads the next era of NIL at JMU and figures out where all that is going and how to stay competitive in that realm? Um, he, he managed the last um, realignment um, scenario masterfully to get JMU into the Sun Belt, and not just to get JMU into the Sun Belt, but working behind the scenes and creating the Sun Belt as it is with the other additions into uh, the league and getting into a league with Marshall and and uh, Old Dominion, who both had to come over for Conference USA and to join App State. You know, those three schools I think Jamie has always really wanted to be aligned with when it comes to a conference um really just you know a fantastic job of working behind the scenes to make that happen the way that it did it wasn't just a matter of jmu deciding to move up and join a conference there was a lot that went into like getting all those schools together into the same place and you know we'll probably never give jeff Bourne quite enough credit for that you know working with wood selig and uh the AD at ODU and others, um, university presidents and athletic directors, you can't understate or you can't overstate just how important that was to um, JMU and JMU's future moving forward. But, you know, who knows what ends up happening with the college football playoff and other realignments, if there'll be another split along the lines of FBS and FCS and another tier um, another playoff situation. What happens with the NCAA tournament going forward? Um, I think Jeff Bourne has been a very big supporter and fan and lover of what college athletics has been. So maybe it's a maybe it makes sense that it's a time for him to step aside before it becomes something that maybe is not exactly what he's always wanted to work in and industry has always wanted to work in. And these are a lot of things that we've talked about with Matt Brown from Extra Points. I'm going to play that interview here in just a minute as, you know, he he, he discussed um, a lot about what JMU was, what, what JMU, how it might appeal to uh, potential candidates for this job, what the candidate pool might look like, um, but also what JMU might be looking for. Um, and a lot of it comes down to, like, like I've gathered from talking to people um, about this job, other athletic directors, you know, people who just kind of work as employees in athletic departments, um, people like Matt who kind of understand just the industry and where sports are going. Uh, the number one thing almost everyone says is that JMU's next athletic director needs to be a, a dynamic fundraiser. Um, you know, JMU has to kind of transition from less reliance on um, student fees, which is not quite the issue that maybe it looks like on paper when you just see uh, the list of schools and the amount of student fees they use. That's sort of an accounting issue, but it is, JMU has to begin to transition towards more reliance on private support, whether it be alumni donors, corporate donors, corporate sponsorships, 
other kinds of relationships, they have to move in that direction. And the next athletic director certainly has to be somebody who is um, proficient in that department and about proficient at raising money, probably somebody who understands the NIL landscape very well and can help navigate that, or at least is eager to learn where that's going and keep JMU as competitive as possible in that department. Um, Talk to Matt some more about that, but you know, really, I think that's the one thing that comes up the most and the names that come up the most, uh, which is more speculation than any like inside information that like, um, yeah, Jamie's actually started talking to this guy. I don't even know how deep into the um, process of, you know, search process they've gotten since there's months to go before Jeff is, you know, officially done. But um, you the names that come up in private people who think, Oh, this makes sense. Or here's like a connection. And they almost all involve, you know, strong fundraisers who that would seem to be like, it'll almost certainly be the, the, the top priority for JMU as they think about things like expanding bridge for stadium, finishing off that other side um, to bring the, uh, to bring the capacity up to past 30,000, maybe up to 40,000 um, from the 25 that it is that'll be a huge project and that'll be something where they're going to have to find funds for that one way or another. Um, retaining coaches, things like that, all of that costs money and that money has to come from new, new sources. If you're JMU and you're getting into, into this landscape. So we'll go ahead and play that interview with Matt, where we talk about a lot of those things and more. So I'm with, Matt Brown from Extra Points uh, newsletter that talks about basically everything in college sports, particularly off the field, behind the scenes. Uh, very few people are as locked into what's going on in the industry of college sports as Matt. So I brought him on to kind of talk a little bit about you know the generalities of the JMU AD opening. Um, you know what a school like JMU will look for and. Um, you know what what kind of how this job might be perceived um in the in the marketplace for you know college athletic directors matt you know that's kind of i guess the first question is how is people who might be interested in becoming an athletic director or moving up in the athletic director realm how will they view james madison as far as the kind of job that it is yeah it's it's a good it's a good question and in a lot of ways this would be seen as a pretty attractive gig, you know. Part of it is, is you know, the money for being a, a Sun Belt athletic director. Um, it's pretty good. The 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 salaries for this kind of gig are generally somewhere between two hundred and three hundred thousand, and maybe a little bit more, depending on um, what kind of incentives are hit. The, the the benefits package is nice. So for somebody that wants to be in this industry and have that kind of executive role. This is a chance to, to be better resourced than you might be at a Longwood or at another place that isn't playing FBS football, but maybe without some of the pressure that comes with operating uh, in the Power Five. Like you're also stepping into a department that is pretty well physically resourced um, and has been competitive, and you know not just in football right off the bat, but but in but in several sports. This is a place where you can you know, do very well in the director's cup. This is the place where you can compete for conference championships and, um, and, and but, but without having enormous media and fan and political pressure. 
Um, so no, not for everybody, but you know, I, I, the problems that JMU might have compared to say, Mon- you know, Louisiana Monroe or maybe even a Marshall uh, are, are different. So th- this this would this would be an attractive role for anybody who is maybe uh, a senior associate athletic director at a major institution, uh, somebody who is a sitting athletic director probably at a football school somewhere in the FCS or somewhere that's less resource, or somebody who's a sitting executive outside of the industry but has ties to the region particularly in revenue generation or fundraising um, might look at this as an attractive role as well yeah it's, it's funny you mentioned Louisiana Monroe I know you know they've they're the one Sunbelt team that's had um, an AD search here fairly recently and to me they knocked it out of the park by getting you know John Hartwell for the salary that they got him I think he's making yeah. well below the conference average um, but it was a guy who wanted to be in that part of the country, and it worked out for them. I don't know that GMU necessarily has anybody like that. Um, it seems like it's probably going to be a pretty national search. And like like you said, um, probably a job that I think would be fairly intriguing for some number twos at Power 5 schools or maybe low major type ADs who see the budget at GMU, see, see the opportunity to – like. Like you said, they're not necessarily worried about how am I going to compete with my peers yeah. just on a financial basis. Uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think all of that's true. Now, that all being said, even if there are a lot of things that are attractive about this gig relative to many conference peers, it's also a very difficult time to be an athletic director in general. And I think it would be an especially challenging time to be an AD of, of anybody in the Sun Belt because there's enormous structural uncertainty you don't really know what the Sun Belt's role is going to be not just in the college football playoff but in division one athletics in three to four years as we move to what's probably going to be some kind of professionalized model um there's a pretty good chance there's going to be a separation of some sort of, of some entities from what we currently call fbs to something else and i think it's a there's it would be surprising if JMU is going to be on the same cutoff line as the Ohio States and Alabamas. And that affects your bottom line. That affects potentially alumni giving or student fees or any of the other revenue sources you have. And there's really no way to predict it. I don't know if there's a way to predict exactly what JMU's appetite would be or interest in directly paying athletes or some athletes or all athletes. And, you know, depending on what the NLRB says or depending on what the UVAs and Virginia Techs do, this looks like a very different job in 2027. So anybody that takes this, and you kind of has to keep that in mind. It's the same thing with being a university president right now. The job that you accept now might not necessarily be the same gig in three years. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, you know, talk about what an attractive, what a candidate might find attractive about JMU. In your mind, what is it that uh, James Madison really needs to kind of look for in their next athletic director based on where the programs are right now? Yeah, so the, the, the most common pathway to being a sitting AD at this point, it's not the only pathway, the most common pathway is generally somebody that either raises the money or handles the money. And, and, and what that means is that you know, it used to be that the common pipeline would be for an AD to come out of compliance. Um, and before that, it used to be they would come out of coaching. And now, just because revenue is, is just the overarching demand for almost any program, it's who has a lot of experience in donor cultivation and donor management, not just for uh, the handful of heavyweight donors, 
but cultivating a lot of guys that pay 50 bucks a year or 250 bucks a year, hoping that they become the people that give 25,000 bucks in 12 years, cultivating a broader base, which is so important for just about every single G5 team. You also are going to look for people that have a lot of experience in cultivating corporate um, and in uh, alternative revenue generation, people that came out of the multimedia rights or multi to handle NIL questions or anything else. Uh, you can't do it if you don't have the resources. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of been my discussions with other people, um, you know, around the industry, too, is that, you know, particularly at JMU, where things are on pretty solid ground, maybe outside of everything but fundraising, I would think the focus of this particular search would be somebody who is a is a big time fundraiser and can kind of, you know, start to shift the uh, shift the dynamic at JMU more from, uh, you know, school funds to some more private type of funding than, they, than they've really ever had um, as they grow and, you know, want to, you, you talk about the uncertainty with, uh, you know, where they're going to be as far as what level of football in a few years, but, you know, I think they want to be at the highest level they possibly can be. And, and that certainly requires, you know, more outside private funding than they've really ever had. That's, yeah, I, I, I think that's exactly right. The, the other potential makeup at a, at a place like AJMU beyond just a really good salesperson or a really good development officer might be somebody who, who is um, well built to lobby. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about lobbying in, in D.C., uh, but somebody who's able to build really strong relationships at the state level with state lawmakers um, to either uh, you know find new levels of appropriations that might be targeted to the athletic department, that might be targeted to the university to shift internal funds you know from one bucket to another to, to free up resources uh, or to advocate for you know for JMU's facilities or JMU's athletic brand uh, for things that the state might spend money on. Um, that is uh, something that is a, a, an increasingly large part of the job for P5 athletic directors. Um, having somebody with a stronger governmental affairs background uh, or civic government might also be uh, a, a valuable experience for this kind of gig. Yeah. I mean, another aspect of it that um, has not always been a huge part of it at JMU is the corporate sponsorships and money coming in in that regard. You know, some of their peers in Old Dominion's like a big example in a larger metro area, they do quite well with, you know, bringing in corporate money. Um, you know, you talk to some other ADs, they talk about that being like an avenue for, for James Madison. But how hard is it for, you know, when you look at schools, you know, not just at JMU, but ones who are in more of a college town and not in a major metro area, like how big of a challenge is that when they want to try to, you know, up that game? It's, it's huge. And, and it's been huge for, it's been difficult for almost everybody over the last two years because when there are fears of a recession or when expenses with inflation or an interest rate change or all these, these, these macroeconomic trends are shifting, generally the first place that a larger corporation cuts is the marketing budget. And the first place that gets cut in the marketing budget would be speculative marketing assets or things that are not part of their typical bread and butter. If you're usually advertising through television uh, or through paid search online and you're dabbling in university partnerships or dabbling in something else, well, that's the first thing that gets cut. So that's a challenge generally. And yeah, if you're, if you're not in a place that has three Fortune 500 companies or you're not in a larger market and can't offer scale, 
there's a challenge uh, you know, for, for some of that too. Now, it's not an insurmountable one. You think about a place like like uh, like Greenville, North Carolina, the town I spent a lot of time in. You know, where ECU is not a very big place, but because ECU is the only thing in town, you can have that conversation with literally every business, and you don't need six gigantic hospital systems to necessarily buy sponsorships if you can get something from from nearly everybody, which is what a lot of college towns do. It's harder in you know in, in Hattiesburg where there's just not a lot of money. And then you have to kind of go, uh, go, go elsewhere. Creating athletic directors then often partner with a Playfly or a Learfield or somebody to try and, and get better sales packages by selling scale, by, by partnering with other institutions. But there I think you'd have to look at having conversations with brands that have large presences in the DMV, in Richmond, in places where there are lots of JMU graduates and think like you're not just buying an activation in our basketball arena. You're trying to you know, reach wherever our brand has extensions and that includes places outside of our immediate market um, and uh, you know, whether you're trying to partner with us to reach potential new uh, job candidates um, or to build relationships for you know, other, parts, other parts of your business, that's where you have to sell. And it takes, it's a longer sales cycle and it's more complicated, but you kind of have to think outside the box when you're not Texas or Ohio State. Yeah. Um, you know, I knew we were going to talk a lot about, you know, the fundraising and the financial aspects of this, but um, if, if you look at this job, is there, what are the kind of maybe the secondary um, category or skill sets that you think might be something that would be the most important for, for, for JMU? Yeah, so, so outside of finance and outside of government relations, which are going to be important for any public school and for almost any institution right now, I think the other two things that you want to look for is you want to find somebody who is entrepreneurial, um, someone who is willing to start something different, um, to zig where everybody else is zagging, and that might be from a corporate perspective or a fundraising perspective or a competitive perspective, because even though you are lucky to have more you know have maybe a little bit more resources and some and some competitive tailwinds than some of your peers you don't have 75 million dollars coming in from fox um and so you might have to be creative with scheduling you might have to be creative with how you sell tickets and be willing to try a couple of things that don't work um somebody that, that's able to that is willing to come in and, and throw a couple of darts at the wall i think is important for any t5 level gig and then the last thing, and this is this is a big challenge here because it's not something that fans can really, or I mean, most reporters, I think, even really have have insight into. It's what kind of manager are you? Like being an AD is a political gig, and I don't mean that just because you have to manage politicians, but you have to balance the interests of increasingly parents of teenagers and immature 20 year olds and potentially their agents and uncles and hangers and hangers on you have to balance the interest of coaches you have to uh, be the, the, the sounding board and sometimes the pinata from faculty and administrative interests and you have to, to to coach and develop those coaches and those your own senior associate ad's and uh and, and then people under you to, to kind of grow your own little coaching tree so Somebody who's really good with people and somebody who's good at taking somebody who might only have seven out of the ten skills they need to be effective in their job and developing them so they can do all ten. That's what's really important. I think what a lot of fans look at for the AD, and this is true at Jamie and it's true everywhere, is they think this 
person needs to bring in money and hire good coaches. And the dirty little secret in this industry is that athletic directors have far less influence in hiring a football and men's basketball coach than you might think. That is surprisingly agent and search firm and regent and big booster driven. And the AD is the one that has to eat the crap if it doesn't work out, but it's not. So, you know, that person just makes the hire. Um, and then maybe, maybe that's a different conversation, but they're the one that has to make it work. And, uh, you know, I, I think maybe if you even look at the, the NACTA list of, of who's been a great athletic director and some of the folks that get promoted all of the time, they're not necessarily the people that have that skill set. Yeah. Hey, well, I appreciate your time, Matt, and your insight on all this. And, uh, yeah, appreciate it and look forward to talking to you again sometime. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's my pleasure. This is the kind of thing that's interesting to folks. You can find my work at extrapointsmb.com. Yeah, that was my next question for you. I appreciate it. And everybody <laughs> check that out because Matt does uh, great, great work if you're interested in the, uh, the business side, the, um, the, the off the field and off the court side of college athletics. There's no, nowhere better than extra points. So I appreciate it, Matt. Thank you very much. Yeah, take care. All right. So Matt really kind of reiterated what I've heard from uh, some, you know, peer athletic directors um, from schools, you know, in JMU's realm, um, things like that, is that, you know, the fundraising, the ability to um, know the corporate and political landscapes in Virginia are probably going to be three of the, or a couple of the, uh, the, the big keys to what JMU is looking for in their next athletic director. Um, to finish off some projects that, you know, kind of will in more or less finish the legacies of what, you know, Bourne got started here and how Jamie turned the corner to become an FCS, uh, FBS program. Um, you know, as they get deeper into the search, I think those are the names that will start to pop up is people who have that fundraising experience and have been, um, been kind of, you know, involved in those projects at other schools um you know matt also mentioned you know maybe some people from outside of athletics um who just you know have ceo experience i mean marshall kind of has gone that way uh, for some of their leadership um positions more recently uh, you know even their university president uh is not somebody who came from academia so it'd be interesting to see how much JMU thinks out of the box in those regards. Um, I, I would imagine it'll probably be somebody who's either, you know, a deputy AD at a, at a power five type school or somebody coming from another group of five or FCS football program who, who ends up getting a job, but you never know. It could, it could branch out to a little bit wider candidate pool. Um, but definitely loved talking to Matt about, about you know just exactly where JMU sits right now as they look for a new athletic director. In the meantime, you know we're gonna wait for Saturday's game, uh, JMU at Utah State next week. We can talk a little bit more about some of the other sports uh, as they continue to get you know deeper into conference play. A successful fall sports season, almost across the board for the Dukes so far. Uh, but we'll always continue to talk more football. Basketball season is creeping up on us. They start practicing next week, so we can hit on that a little bit in the coming episodes. But for now, I'm Shane Metlin, and you've been listening to 
the Purple and Bold podcast with thanks to Matt Brown from Extra Points who came on with me to uh, discuss the JMU AD, AD search. Um, this has been the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record. And thank you, as always, for listening.